Cool. All right. So we are currently um, through this series right now. And in this series, we are working our way through. Um, and I and I realized that I haven't actually given you guys um, some of the recommended books I've been using to help prepare for the series. I, I want to do that real quick. Um, so we've been talking about, oh, okay. So we've been talking about the, the sexual revolution for the month of January, um, pretty much talking, covering topics of homosexuality and transgenderism. And these are some recommended books that um, help me think through this. Um, and so if you guys want to have more resources on, on just kind of studying up on this topic, uh, there's three books here that I recommend. Um, and as we now gear towards more practical steps of, steps of dating and marriage, here are four books I recommend to you guys uh, to kind of just think through what does it mean to, to date and to be married. Uh, and so I, I think these are books that are helpful for me. Um, I, well, I haven't read Excellent Wife yet, but that's something that I want to do. I think, I, I truly believe that males should read what the, what the roles of a wife is, and as well as for the females to read what the roles of a husband is. Um, and so those, those are, those are just some books that are, are, I think are helpful. Uh, we spent four messages so far in this series, just kind of building the theological framework of marriage. And we, we really went back to Genesis a lot, right? We, we talked a lot about God and his creation and, and what he did in creation, where he created man and woman and, and he united them as one flesh. And that became the design, the design of how man was supposed to fulfill his role, uh, their role as the image of God. And, and this marriage design is, is supposed to represent a covenantal faithfulness between one man and one woman and that covenant glorifies God and and so as we're going then through the series and as you guys know the series is called pursuing marriage in a sin-driven world and what what I wanted to do with the first four messages of the series was present to you that this sin-driven world has disrupted and corrupted God's good design of marriage and, and that's just what sin does, right? It, it, it damages God's design. Now, I, I'm assuming for most of you guys here, you, you guys probably want to get married. And, and that's not a raw desire. That's, in fact, a really good desire. God said himself that it's not good for man to be alone. And so God gave Adam Eve. But our sin in our hearts it can corrupt our desire for marriage for evil. And I want us to be aware of that, to be aware of, of these issues that's going on in our world today, of how they're redefining marriage and how it all ends up impacting us as well and how we view marriage. And so this, that was my goal of, of the first four messages, just show you what the dangers of what it means to challenge and and redefine how God has to, has designed marriage to be. Starting tonight, we're going to start. We're going to get a little bit more practical. And so the last two messages were pretty heavy, um, and I, I didn't really want to make a light tone of it. Uh, but tonight, I do want to kind of just present this message in a in a little bit more joyful tone. There, there's going to be some challenges for you guys still, but I, I want us to just 
to kind of just relax a little bit and just kind of think through and be encouraged by how God has designed us to be, how God has designed us to live. And what we're going to tackle tonight is, is how exactly do you start preparing yourself for marriage as singles? The sermon um, and the next sermon are targeted towards singles, but I, I do hope for those who are married here that this, this sermon uh, will also encourage you in your walks. And, and, and the whole point of this is so that all of us are walking together for the purpose of glorifying Christ. I'm going to give you guys a big idea up front. This is my premise for tonight, that the foundation of pursuing a biblical marriage begins with developing your spiritual disciplines as men and women of God. I, I use this phrase, spiritual disciplines, because it is ultimately about your relationship with God. Your, your relationship with God is it's not, about, not about how you think feel or i'll even say it's not even how you think about god that's not it that's not everything your relationship with god should shape your life should shape your behavior to shape your habits that's why i'm using this word spiritual discipline this there, there has to be a change in who you are and how you live if we cannot live as godly men and women in our singleness how then do you expect to live as a godly husband and wife in your marriages and that's why it begins with salvation. It begins with your salvation. Are you saved? Turn with me. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And, and we're going to look at verse 7 to 8. It says this. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We see here, and we have to make note of what's, what is saying, what John here is writing about. He's saying that we do not know how to love others if we first do not know God. And this relates strongly to marriage because marriage is built on love, right? When we talk about marriage, we do think about a marital love. It's not, love is not everything marriage is about, but love is definitely an aspect, a core aspect of marriage. You're talking about two people, a man and woman, and, and a faithful commitment to one another uh, for a lifetime of love. But here's the thing. How can you make such a deep and long commitment to love when you cannot even love your fellow brother and sister in Christ? You see, John's key point here is that we cannot truly love people without knowing God. It begins with God. And as, as we know God, we know what love is. God defines love, not this world not even myself. It's God who defines love. And as God defines love for you, you learn how to love others. And, and, and as you learn how to love others, you also end up learning how to love your future spouse. And so do you then love people? Do you love others? Do you love the church? Because if you have a hard time loving people, I, I want to ask you then, 
If you don't, do you love God? Uh, and I'm not saying that if, you know, if, if you just right, right now, if you're just feeling tired and you're weary, you're tired from work, it's just really hard to show love to people that now you're not saved. I'm not saying that. It's, but it's, it's more about asking yourself, truly asking yourself in your heart, if your love for God, does that lead you to have a greater love for people? Because that's what it should do. If your love for God does not lead you to have a greater love for people, then you have to ask yourself, what is all this about? And it's this truth that will gird us for the rest of our message for tonight. Because it begins first with your salvation. For your love and from your salvation, it, you learn to love God. You learn to know what it means that God is love. And through that, you then learn how to love others. And then it practically narrows down then, how then do you love your future husband or wife? And so tonight, we're going to be examining some of these spiritual disciplines. What does it mean then for a godly man to love someone? What does it mean for a godly woman to love someone? What what are these things? What are these aspects of our character of who we are as male and female? What, What are these things? What are these characteristics that we must value for ourselves? And I can't be comprehensive in this message. There's so much you can cover in terms of character of man of a golly man or golly woman, but I'm, I'm hoping the few aspects that I do draw on this message will be beneficial for you and for your walk with God. And so I'm going to begin here with the men. And we're going to take a look at what it means to be a golly man. Take your Bibles, let's go to the Old Testament, and we're going to go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 or one through two right now. Um, and we will eventually get to verse four. Here, here we have King David. He's nearing the end of his life and he's passing the throne to his son, Solomon. And these are his instructions to his son. It says here, when David's time When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Let's take a moment. Just think about this charge that we just read from David to Solomon. He he says, be strong and show yourself a man. This, This charge... If you think about it, if you say that today, it won't go well, right? In our culture today. Like, if you're to say that to someone else on the street, you'll be like, a man? What, what do you mean, a man? What, what, is, what does that mean? Why not show yourself a woman? Like, what, what, does, what is this? What, what are you trying to say? And, and many times we can look at this passage and we can think, Okay, so is David here promoting some kind of stereotypical masculinity, right? Because David himself, he was a strong warrior. He, he took down Goliath. He fought many battles, many wars. He united Israel together. But that's not what David is saying here. He's, he, he's, he's not saying, talking about strength in terms of a physical strength. But I do want us to take note that David here does Tell Solomon to be strong and, and, and to say, show yourself as a man. And, 
and, and so there's an aspect of manhood. There's an aspect of manhood where, where, where there's an idea of strength that belongs to them. That's natural to being a man. And I believe this is a charge that many of us men today need to hear. I want to ask you, does, does this stir something in you guys? For the men here in, on this Zoom call, does this stir something in you? When someone charges you and says, be a man, show yourself a man, are, are you pumped up? Are you ready to go? But let's take a moment as well to read on and see what David here means by show yourself a man. Verse 3, he says, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their hearts and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What we see here, David, David says a strong man is characterized as one who keeps the charge, who walks with God, and who obeys the Lord. A man is not defined by his biceps or his six pack. Sorry, guys. It's not about having the beach bod. It's not defined by the way he handles a sword or a gun, as cool as that may be. It's not defined by the car that he drives or the job that he holds. A strong man here is defined by his commitment to God. And we see here that this is not just David's definition of manhood. This is God, right? When God tells David, it says, your sons pay, if your sons pay close, close attention to all this and stay faithful, then this, your sons will remain on the throne. This is how God sees manhood. A man who remains faithful to God would not be uprooted. He would not be shaken. He will lead faithfully with conviction and righteousness. Men, does this charge resonate with you? I want to ask you, are you pursuing life as a man of God in this way? And note that this command isn't even about being a, a husband, this, but we shouldn't be ignorant about this. Uh, being a strong and godly husband starts with being a man of God. I repeat that, being a strong and godly husband starts with being a man of God. So with that, let me ask you a few practical questions. A few practical questions. First, men, do you know the word of God? How often do you read scripture? Right? We see here that a man is characterized by his obedience to God's word. How can you obey if you don't know God's word? Ask yourself, how long, how long do you read God's word compared to the amount of time you spend reading about sports, watching video clips, playing video games? Compare that to the amount of time you spent in God's word. 
or, or ask yourself this about God's word. How seriously do you take Sunday mornings? When God's word is preached to you, are you actively taking notes? Are you actively trying to make application of what you're hearing? Are you actively trying to share what you've learned with others after church? Scripture is what roots a man in faithfulness. Psalm 119 verse 9 and to 11 says, How can a, man, a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is, this God's word is amazing. It's what guards you from sin. Guys, God's word is not like a magazine you read on a toilet. I mean, you could read your Bible on the toilet, but it's more than just that, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it's the barriers of your life. It's an instruction manual of how to live for God. It teaches you what it means to be a godly man. And this is important, not just for your manhood, but also for, your, for, those, who, for those of you who will be married one day. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. God's word here is what helps you build your relationship to sanctify your wife as you continue to lead her in your marriage. Or even we think further down in marriage into your role as a father, Proverbs 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. How can you give these kind of godly instructions to your future children if you do not know the word of God? Know the word of God, man. Second question I want to ask you is this. Are you leading actively? Do you lead actively? Note here that David in 1 Kings, he's commissioning his son to lead a nation, to obey God, to lead the charge actively, to be obeying him, obeying the Lord word by word. Now, none of us here are called to be a king of any nation. I mean, unless, unless you're some kind of secret prince that you never told me about, I don't think any of us are going to be in charge of a nation one day. But as a man, you are indeed called to lead. You're, you're, you're going to be leading your family one day. And part of leading is not sitting back and telling others what to do. Leading is leading by example. It involves getting off the couch and putting in the work. And so let me ask you this. Are you then faithful to the church? Are you a, a member who is active and invested in the life of the church? And what this means is like being active and leading in church doesn't mean you're, you're going to be a preacher or, or it doesn't mean you have to throw yourself into every ministry. That's because that's not what God looks for in, in leadership. Active leading begins with involving yourself in people's lives building relationships and discipling. Let me start off simply. Are you committed to a small group? And do you go out regular to that? Are you a regular member of your small group? Let me ask you, are you on time to your small group? 
Do you take the time to follow the people outside of your small group, outside of the small group meetings, to, to follow them during the week? Are you proactive in, in, in praying, helping out your brothers? These are all important parts of what it means to lead well. Another aspect of leading well is it's also learn how to be a good follower. Right? Being a leader starts with being a follower. I, I'm not going to look for someone who's constantly rebelling against the rules. A rebel is not a good leader. Ultimately, when we think about leadership, it's about stewarding your gifts and your position in obedience to the Lord. It's about being a good follower. Leadership starts with humble submission. And what we see here in Luke 22, 26, he says, Jesus says this, rather let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. One who serves. One, one who's willing to, to, to come underneath and, and serve people, not necessarily to be over them as an authoritative figure. And part of this service, part of service is listening. You listen well. In other words, are you good at following instructions? You actually take the time to listen and read and process the, the policies and guidelines given to you? Or, or are you the guy who just throws out the manual and just, just tinkers on his own? Are you proactively asking questions when you're confused? You realize this, this aspect of listening is also how you lead and serve your future wife. Because First Peter, First Peter, chapter three, verse seven says, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way." The only way you live with your wives in an understanding way is if you seek to listen and understand your wife. You see how these habits, these disciplines of being a leader, starts now. It starts with how you are to lead and be active in your church now? Do you listen well? Do you serve well? Are you committed in these ways? As we continue to look here at, at First Kings, when we see here David, David's charge to Solomon, it, it requires a certain amount of diligence, a focus. We can say a lot about this. He's, he's trying to prepare Solomon for every moment. And, 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 and we see here, Ultimately, that what it means to be a godly man is to obey the Lord in this way, to be a follower of the Lord. And, and this is not the only place where men are called to lead in this way, to be strong and courageous in this way. If you turn with me to the New Testament now, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, this is Paul writing to his church, and he says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And what we see here is, is, is again, it says here, act like men. And then this charge here is given to the entire church. So the church here has men and women there. And so women too are supposed to be strong in their faith. But the expectation here, the implication of acting like men is that the men are supposed to lead in being strong 
and being courageous in your faith. And so men, do you exemplify this characteristic? Let's take a look at what Paul means here to act like men. He, he says here in verse 13, to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith. To be watchful, to stand firm in the faith requires self-control. Are you a man who exercises self-control? Self-control is key to, to the standing firm in the faith. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That, that means that if you have no self-control, sin will enter into your life and destroy you. A man who lacks self-control will lead his life into a train wreck. And, and arguably, for, for, for young men, self-control is probably one of the hardest things to do today. Especially in a life where we want to microwave pleasure and get things instantly. Self-control is so difficult. But this is, this is not just true in our time. Paul recognized this truth as, as well. He says in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, to the older men, he says, Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. So let me then ask you a few practical questions about your self-control. First, do you pray regularly? Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Well, what we see here is that men are expected to pray. Men are supposed to be prayer warriors. What prayer does for us is prayers humble, praying humbles the heart and strengthen, strengthens the soul. Praying, in other words, produces self-control. Because it nurtures the soul to slow down. And, to, and it helps us direct our passions towards God. This is what praying does. Praying reminds us that our lives belong ultimately to God. And this is important. This is an important truth to remember that we as men are dependent upon God. Last time we covered 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about gender distinction between man and woman. And and just remember this truth that Paul says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And so we see here, right, as, as man is supposed to lead the woman, we have to also remember that it's ultimately Christ who leads us. Praying helps us control ourselves because it remembers, it reminds us that we belong to Christ and we need to depend upon him daily. And so, men, I encourage you, pray daily, pray constantly. Uh, another question about your self-control. Do you take your free time seriously? Free time is, is it's not an opening for you to goof around. Recognize how you use your free time. Recognize how you pursue your hobbies. I want you guys to be aware of this because our hearts are not stagnant, right? Our, our hearts, they're, they're, they're constantly moving back and forth on a moral spectrum. And, and, and we have to realize that whatever we feed into our hearts, the more the heart desires that object. That's true for all of us, men and women. If you, and so if you use your free time poorly and pursue earthly things, you will become enslaved to them. 
we, we see this in Proverbs chapter 23, first three verses. It says, when you sit down to eat with the ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. What, what, what we see here is that this ruler is putting food out before you. And if you take it and you eat all this food, you're suddenly now in debt to this person. You're in debt to this ruler. And this ruler has control over you, has, can, can, now, can, can now say, you owe me a favor. We see here food is used as an illustration. Food itself is not sinful. Right? Food is a good thing. We need food to survive. Food is not sin. But we must watch our appetites lest we fall under control of the ruler who gives us this food. Satan offers you this world. Not everything in this world is sin. Like some of the hobbies you guys have, what you do during your free time, they're not necessarily sin. But, must, but you must watch your heart. Watch your appetites. Watch your desires. Do not let the world enslave you. Do you take your free time seriously? One last question. Do you take care of your body? Self-control is indeed a spiritual fruit. It's something that, that matters to our souls, to our hearts, but it also matters to our bodies. And I want to ask you, are you taking care of your body? Are you, are you developing habits that treat your body well? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All things are for the glory of God, which means all things requires discipline. Discipline over your appetites, over your passions, over your impulses. And so I want to ask you, are you, are you, are you eating a balanced diet? Are you exercising regularly? Or man, do you see a doctor when you're sick or injured? Or do you think you just heal on your own? Or let me ask you this. Do you have good sleeping habits? Right? Waking up is difficult. Waking up requires self-control. Tell your and, and, and so when you when we think about this, this is this is something that requires discipline, you know? Oh, let me just, you know, in the past few days, I've actually been waking up around 3.30 a.m., 4 a.m., and, and I need to because I, I need to get some work done. I've been sleeping early, so and I've been waking up, and I'm, I'm actually more refreshed in the mornings, but even though I, I've been waking up at a time, it's not a natural time to wake up, right? It, it still required discipline to get up at that time to say, I have work to be done because it's necessary to finish them. Waking up is, yes, it, there's an aspect where we're, we're tired and you need to rest, you need to sleep. But part of waking up is also, part, is also you exercising discipline and self-control over your body. And this is important. Talking about self-control of your body is important because Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 says, In the same way, husband, love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wives loves himself. You see, this, this, this verse assumes that you men take care of your own bodies. Do you want them to treat your wife in the same way that you treat your body? Or, or woman, let me ask you this. 
when you if a man is not taking care of his body do you want to find a man who will treat you in the same way that he treats his body you wouldn't right see here self-control is key so these here so we see here that for godly men we're called to be strong and courageous and and that means we have to continue to exercise self-control over our spiritual lives and over our bodies. All of it matters. All of it, it helps us learn how to love our wives better and how to love people. Let me now turn our attention to the woman. For a godly woman, I want us to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at uh, it's a controversial passage. I feel like I've been dealing with controversial passages for like the past month, um, but this will be fun. We'll, we'll take a look at this. First uh, Timothy chapter two, we're going to look at first verse nine to 10. We see here how Paul, Paul's addressing Timothy and he's instructing to me, this is how women should uh, present herself in the church. It says there in verse nine, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Uh, Paul here, he's, he's addressing the church that Timothy is pastoring over. And most likely he's addressing women with some wealth, right? These are women who are able to buy some expensive clothes, be able to dress up nicely. And we have to recognize here that, that buying nice things, buying expensive things, they're not a sin, right? It's not a sinful action. Paul here, he's focusing upon the heart. He says a woman should be respectable, should be modest, and self-controlled. We see that spiritual fruit here again, self-control. The way you dress, ladies, the way you dress is the way you want to image yourself. Clothing, clothing is a a statement of identity. There's a spiritual, moral aspect to our clothing. We we, we kind of saw this last time when we talked about, you know, men and women clothing and what does it mean to be gender distinct. So so we see here that Paul here focuses in on on clothing for the woman. And and this is true for both guys and girls. I don't want to you know, Paul's not excluding guys from this, right? Guys, we also need to watch out what we're wearing. But the focus here is on the woman because I, I think there's probably an issue here with the church, with the woman. And, and, and the, focus, the, the focus here is about what is the woman doing here in their church? Is the way she's presenting herself drawing attention to herself or to God? You see, a godly woman is not known for how she dresses. But in the next, in verse 10, we see here that a godly woman is known for her good works. And that there is key. Right? Many times we think about what we wear and, 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 and it can draw a lot of attention. And again, what you wear is not necessarily bad. It's just thinking through all that. But the way a godly woman should be characterized is by her good works. So let me ask you then some few practical questions, ladies. 
first, how do you pick out what to wear to church? I think this is just a practical application from these two verses. Uh, I want us to know here what Paul is saying. Right? He's saying, don't be provocative. Don't be elaborate. Don't be flashy. But Paul here is also saying, be decent. Be respectable. Right? He's, he's not saying, come to church in your pajamas. But nor is he saying, come to church in your prom dress. He's saying, come to church in clothing that brings honor to God. I'm going to be drawing a lot from, from the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, and, and one of the things that, that she's described as in verse 22, she said, it says this, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. We see here that the Proverbs 31 woman dresses well. She's in fine linen and dressed in purple royal colors. And so there's nothing wrong, again, with having nice things. But we have to remember where her identity is. Her identity is found in her strength and wisdom. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. Ladies, let's think about that for a moment. Because the type of guy you will attract will depend upon how you present yourself. Godliness will attract godly men. Second question for the ladies. Are you actively involved in church? Similar question to the guys. You see here the same thing. Are you actively involved in church? And note here the, the Paul's concern in 1 Timothy. Paul's concern with the woman. He, he's saying that there's a, they're, they're too focused on their outer appearance and they neglected their call to good works. They need to think about their good works. But what are these good works? Well, if you turn the page with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, Verse 9 to 10, or you look at, it, look at it on the screen. Here Paul addresses about a widow, an older widow, who, who um, her husband passed away, but she's known to be an exemplary widow. And this, this is what he says. He says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Now, what we see here, good works, is obedience to the role that God has given to you. And so are you faithful then in the church? Are you committed to a church, to a small group, to ministry, to building relationships? First note here in this description, Right? He says that this, this excellent widow, she's been a wife of one husband. That's, that's faithfulness. That's commitment. And when you think about then, ladies, how you relate emotionally with people, even when things get tough, are you staying present with them? Are you there for them? Are you, are you there for people even when things get busy? Are you, are you steadfast in your relationships? Even when your heart is not in it, are you practicing that now in your small groups or in your church? Because that will go a long ways to learning how to be a wife to one husband. And this is most likely one very simple husband, right? Look at this next thing here. It says, 
talks about having good words that she's brought up children. We'll talk a little bit more about children, but she's also shown hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, caring for the afflicted. Ladies, are you hospitable? Is your presence one that is gladly received by people? Are you a helping hand wherever you go? And let's, let's, let me, let's make note of this. Hospitality is not built when you own your own home, right? Owning a home does not mean you can now be hospitable. Hospitality is built by being generous. Are you generous right now with, with your time, your resources, your opportunities? Are you being generous? I do want to lay a word of caution to this because I, you know, everything should be balanced and nuanced. Uh, hospitality indeed is a good thing. It's commended by scripture. But let's note the context here, right? It says here that this, this widow, she has shown hospitality and she has washed the feet of the saints. The saints. This, this is for people of God, people that you can trust. And I'm saying this especially for you as single ladies, most likely, especially for those who live in their own apartment. I'm not saying that you should have an open door policy and let everyone come in. That's not what hospitality is about. You, have, you do have to watch for your own safety. We have to remember that you have to, you, the scripture does commend us to be hospitable, but you should be smart about it. And hospitality is indeed a Christian virtue, but it's not one to be taken advantage of. And it's about, again, your heart. Are you generous to people, but yet still safe and wise about how you do that? Let's now turn our attention back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And looking back here, let's now look at verse 11 to 12. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, there's a lot we can get to here. We can talk about women in ministry. We can talk about female pastors and all that, but I'm not going to go there. I do want to make a few quick comments just so that we can properly understand what Paul here is talking about. First, Paul, he, he's not denying women from every ministerial position. Right? He, he's just talking about the ones that holds authority over adult men. Right? And so that means there's, there's a lot of places that women can serve in church. Because there's a lot of places in church that don't, those roles and those positions don't hold authority over adult men. Second, Paul here is not saying that women are not qualified in the sense of ability for teaching roles. In fact, in my experience, I will argue I probably know more women who are, who are more capable of leading and teaching than I do of men. So the failure on, of that is, is actually on the men. But what we see here, what Paul is talking about, we, if you read on to verse 13 and 14, is it's a matter of keeping creation order the way God has designed it within the church. The third thing I want to point out from this is that Paul here is not saying that women can never teach. The, the context is, this, again, establishing order within the church. But we, but we know that for, for you ladies, you have a high calling of discipling and teaching younger women. You also have a high calling of discipling and teaching your own children. We, we see that in various passages throughout scripture. And, and so 
what we have to realize here is that Paul's focus, Paul's focus here is upon order within the church, where the, the role of a woman, and, and, and he's given one thing that a woman can do is to have authority over adult men. But there's still a lot of other things that women can do within the church. But note here the priority that Paul lays upon for the woman. It says here the role of the woman is to be a learner. Let the woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Let's, let's, let's think about what that means, to learn. That doesn't mean you obey men in your church as if they're your authoritative figures. They're not dictators over you. This, what this does mean to learn quietly, it means you're to be like Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teachings. And we have to keep in mind about this, right? Every passage in scripture, when we talk about submitting to someone who is not God, we always have to remember their nuance. They're, 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 there's a limit to them because our submission for all of us is first unto the Lord. That's for every passage that deals with submission. I want us to know here the tone that Paul has. Paul doesn't say, woman, shut your mouth. He doesn't say that. He, he emphasizes the word quiet. Quiet. This is, this is a, a gentle soul, a, a soft whisper, a, a peaceful demeanor. Quietness is gentleness and grace. And so let me ask you ladies, do you practice grace and gentleness in your speech? Proverbs 31, 26 says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The woman is wise here, right? This Proverbs 31 woman is wise and, and, and her wisdom comes out in this manner. It comes out in, with kindness, with gentleness, right? She, she's still teaching. She's still speaking truth, but she does it with grace and love. And, and this is something that, and throughout scripture, we see here that the fathers tend to be characterized as those who discipline their children, but the mothers are the ones who are gentle. And this doesn't mean that the two roles don't ever like cross over, but it, scripture is saying this is the ideal way that the roles in the home should play out. And so to talk about grace and gentleness, ladies, I want to ask you, do you, do you easily complain? Are you discontent with your life? Perhaps even with your singleness. And I can admit when it comes to singleness, it, it, it tends to hit women harder than men. I want us to note this, that if you develop a habit of grumbling in your singleness, that habit will carry into your marriage when things don't go the way you expect. You'll no longer be practicing grace and gentleness in your speech. What happens is that this will harm the home. Proverbs, again, lays this out. 21 verse 9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 27 verse 15, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Are you right now cultivating a heart full of grace and gentleness 
So that comes down in your speech. Let's come back to First Timothy. We'll, we'll finish this passage out. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15, it says, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Again, we can, there's a lot we can say about this passage, but let me just make this remark here. This passage is not saying that you can only be saved if you bear a child. It's not what this passage is saying. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. Right? Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. That's the only way to salvation. What Paul here is doing, he, he's relating to, theologically, there's a lot going on here because he talked about Adam and Eve. And you have to remember Eve, there was a curse on her sin and childbearing, there's pain. But here it says that she will be saved also through childbearing because of Christ. Christ redeems childbearing. What Paul here is doing is he, is he is exalting the role of woman as mothers, as childbearers. Again, let's read this in context. Let's read this in the context. Paul here, he's talking about the church. He's saying, woman out not to dress provocatively, or caught, nor are women supposed to cause disorder within the church. Instead, a godly woman honors God through good works by managing her home and raising her family. And she does this with faith, love, holiness, and self-control. So let's then ask this question. Are you preparing yourself for the hard work of managing a home? Again, when we look at the Proverbs 31 woman, Look at the responsibility she has at home. There's, there's a lot to go there, right? We see here first that in verse 31 and uh, uh, verse 16 of the Proverbs 31 woman says, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Then in verse 24, it says, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Part of managing a home is managing finances. She's unafraid to make investments for the future. She understands the risk and rewards behind her decisions. Uh, let's keep seeing her responsibilities at home. Verse 19 says she puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat. The bread of idleness. In other words, her job at home, raising the kids, managing the home, it's hard work, constant work. And here she makes the most of what she has. She is not afraid. Ladies, how do you deal with your money and your resources today? Look, I'm not saying that you need to be a financial expert or you need to be some kind of homemaking guru. I'm not saying that you need to suddenly be investing in GameStop or something like that. But are you willing to learn? Are you willing to be involved? In other words, ask 
older woman, what it means to be a mother at home, to be a wife at home. And I'm sure many of them at church, they'll love to help you out. Ask these kind of questions in our mentors Q&A. And ask them practical questions, things that you probably never thought about. Ask them about home mortgages, right? I, me, and, me and my wife, we're currently going through a refinance on our mortgage and I'm just getting tired from all these emails and phone calls. And I just want to get it done. But there's, that's an aspect of managing a home is to know how to manage a mortgage. Ask about bank accounts. Ask about assurances. Get, get a handle of these things because the reality is this, that a husband should be involved in managing home. Like there's commandments in scripture for a husband to have good management over their homes. But it is a partnership in doing this. Because many times the, the, the father, the husband is most likely at work and busy with stuff. And many of these to take care in terms of bills and, and, and other chores often needs to be taken care of during work hours. And so do you know how to do these things? Because you can build up those skills now. Ask older women in church tips and tricks to, to, of how to manage the home. Ask them for cooking tips. Cooking tips on how to make a simple meal, especially one that will come in handy if you're having a really busy week. Again, this doesn't say that husbands shouldn't be involved with cooking. I, I would love to be more involved with cooking, but I find that as my schedule gets busy, I, I just don't have the time to always cook for my wife. And, and this is the same busyness now during a pandemic where I'm staying at home. I can't imagine what it would be like when I have to start going out back to church office and things like that. And so can you cook a quick meal, a simple meal and bless your future husband in this way? And of course, after the meal, you make them clean up and wash the dishes for you. And, but it's, it's again, it's a partnership. Being a, a godly wife at home, that takes care of the home is indeed hard work. And Paul here, he's exalting that. And our society today, it, it fights for women in the workplace because our society believes that women's work at home is not fulfilling. As Christians, we cannot fall into that same ideology. And so I want to be clear about this. Ladies, I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue your career. In fact, I want to encourage you to pursue your careers. I just want us... I just want to make sure that we understand that, that we do not diminish the glory and value of a, of a homemaking wife. There is great glory and value to that, probably even more so than your career. And the work at home is not easy as we see in Proverbs 31. This is a challenge for you men. Men, if your wife decides to make the home, her full-time responsibility, appreciate all that she does. There's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, even if you're coming home from a long work day, come home with a smile and honor and appreciate your wife. Again, I'm not against wives and mothers who hold a career. I grew up on that. I know many people in church who, who do that. I'm not against that. I believe context here matters and I can get into the, how the workforce has changed since you know, the biblical times to times today. And that's a whole different subject to talk about work. But I do recognize that our context matters. 
I, we live in California and, and California is really hard to raise a family on a single income. And that, that's just the reality of it. And so wives and mothers need to work. I, I just want for you ladies to remember this, just to keep this in mind as you're thinking about your works, your careers, and your, also your future home. If you choose to go down the route of working full-time, pursuing that career, it's not wrong, but you just have to make that decision without neglecting the biblical instruction to manage your home. It can be done. Again, ask older women in this church, how do they do it? What are some things they struggle with? What are some things that can help you prepare for that? So that when you are further down your career and now you're suddenly realize getting married, how does that play out? I, I, I want us to realize, I, I, am, I myself realized it's not easy. It's not easy to balance that. Home is difficult. Home is hard work, but your career is also hard work. I just want to ask you, are you prepared if you pursue this route of having both a job and managing a home, are you prepared for that? Do you know what your duties look like if you do pursue that? And yes, it's difficult because nothing in this sin-driven world is easy. And this is why we have to look to scripture, see the principles laid out there and trust what is good for us. I do want to say one final thing about this for the woman for the ladies. There is indeed a call for the ladies to manage a home to be here. Paul here talks about childbearing. I do realize that for many of you, many of you who are single, it's, it's difficult. And we have to realize here that Paul here is not saying for you ladies, that you can only find fulfillment if you get married and have a family. The, the goal here of this passage, if we remember, is to, is to pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. And, and there is also much godliness to be found in, in your singleness as well. But again, I want to emphasize or be sympathetic that I, I understand for, for a single woman, there, for multiple reasons, singleness can be tough. And I don't want to neglect on how hard that is for you guys, nor do I want to neglect the, the pain or the shame that comes from miscarriages or infertility. Those things happen. And so this Paul here is not, he's not saying that those, that, that makes you any less of a woman. What he's saying here is that there is indeed a certain glory that comes through childbearing, a certain value that comes to that. And the text here makes that clear. And in a sense, for those who do struggle with miscarriages or infertility or singleness, you do miss out on that. And that sucks. That's painful. This, this fallen world is not ideal and it's hard. The, this, this Paul here, he's not dismissing the reality of that kind of suffering. But he is emphasizing this. That is good to pursue godliness to have a humble and gentle spirit, to honor God as a Christ-like woman. So to conclude this message, coming back to our big idea, it's the foundation of pursuing a biblical marriage begins with developing your spiritual disciplines as men and women of God. 
Take a look at your life. Ask yourself this now. Are you cultivating spiritual disciplines and habits today that can prepare you to fulfill those roles in the future? We see here that a biblical marriage, biblical marriage is, is one that's built on these kind of spiritual disciplines, a pursuit of godliness. And ultimately this leads us to learn how to love our future spouse better, teach us to learn how to love others better, teach us how to love God better. Ultimately, when we pursue marriage in this way, by exercising these kind of spiritual disciplines in our life, when you end up getting married, these disciplines will carry you a long way. And then when you do that, you build up a stronger marriage and that marriage then can become an illustration for all people to learn from, for the church to learn what it means to live as believers redeemed by Christ. Because ultimately, as Ephesians chapter five teach us, our marriage is about the gospel. It's about Christ. It's about representing him and honoring him. And that he is our all. He is our reward. He is the glory by which we live by. And so pursue these things now and they will carry you far. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that teaches us how to live as men and women of your word. And God, I pray that we would continue just to live in this way. Thank you, Lord, for giving us Christ as the perfect example perfect example of love, of sacrifice, of faithfulness, of self-control. Lord, you have given us a great gift. So let us then continue to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, to, to exemplify him and to imitate him in all that we do. Let us remember that our lives don't belong to ourselves, but it belongs to Christ. So let us then think about our spiritual disciplines continue to pursue you whether we are married or single let us pursue you because you are our all in all thank you god pray all this in your name amen